I was reading this magazine called Fast Company. It's kind of like this magazine where design meets leadership meets green living uh, meets business. That's a really cool magazine. And in it, they were talking about, um, they were surveying major executives and middle management, and they are asking them, what is the one asset that you need that you're missing? And there was just this international multi-corporation all over the world survey. Um, and it wasn't like, you know, we need more charisma or even hard work. Um, kind of the vast majority of the time, what they said they needed was focus. And, I mean, it kind of made sense to me, you know, between, you know, iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Pinterest, all this stuff. It really is hard to focus, right? And it reminded me of this sociologist um, who was basically talking about how, you know, multitasking, how you can't actually do two things at once. Some of you guys who think you're really good at multitasking, you're not actually doing two things at once. Uh, You're just really good at kind of changing from one thing to the other. We can't actually multitask. Um, So then this Christian theologian, um, he was talking about how once we lose lose focus um, as Christians, if we're not focused on the glory and the beauty and just the preciousness of God, then we end up focusing on something else, right? If we're not focusing on God, we're focusing on something else. And he says if you, he, he did a major survey too. He said if you look at the majority of religious people, uh, whether they're Christian or not, they pretty much live like practical atheists. Now, that's not to denigrate atheists. In fact, atheists are often a lot more genuine and follow through than Christians. I have many atheist friends. Um, But he said we live like practical atheists. God doesn't have a say in so many aspects of our life. Can you all connect with that? I know I did. I mean, it really convicted me, to be honest. Let me read this text. This is where we're going to start. This is going to do the work today. Um, It's from James chapter 4. It says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. Now, when I read that, some of you might think this, especially y'all who are exploring and thinking things through and maybe skeptical of Christianity. It kind of sounds like it's saying this is another example of how if you have to be a Christian You have to detach business. You have to detach the arts, literature. You pretty much have to live in this separate world, right? Do Christian spiritual things and not worry about anything else in the world. Not business, not money. Nothing. You just have to be weird, really. But, of course, that's not not what he's saying at all. And 
I'll prove it to you. Now, we'll remember that James is a letter, just as sure as I'm talking to you right here, right now, today. He wrote this letter a little under 2,000 years ago uh, to a group of people. And some people think he was writing to a lot of churches. Some people think he was writing to a few churches. Uh, But what we know is they were undergoing some problems. They, um, kind of one of the main themes in the book is the Christians were being persecuted, especially by wealthy people. But here's the thing. It wasn't just, you know, like the big, bad, worldly people that had the money that were persecuting them. Christians in the church were persecuting the poor, the poor in the church. The wealthy Christians were persecuting the poor Christians. They might not have said it. They might not have, you know, been sparring with them and and dissing them and all that stuff. But they were treating some of the poor Christians as if they were lower, just lower. I don't know this, but it might have just been not associating with them, not paying attention, forgetting about them. After all, look at all these social things we have on our calendar all through the week. We can't can't think about them. But they were being persecuted. And James, see, James is great. You know why I like James? Because he's like a, he's like a, good, he's like a good father, right? He loves you a lot, and he's going to meet you where you are. Um, but he's not a coward either. He's going to let you know. He's going to meet you where you are. He's going to gently, sometimes forcefully, tell you what's going wrong, what you're doing wrong. It's because he cares about you that he does this stuff. This is a pretty intense text. This first part right here, come now, that's a pretty forceful. It's almost like a, listen up! <laughs> listen up, brothers and sisters. You are in grave danger. It's kind of, it's that intense, what he's saying here. Listen up. But we'll remember that he cares about his people. Throughout the letter, you'll see words like, my beloved brothers and sisters, my beloved kids. He loves his people, right? He loves them a lot. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Now, back then, you couldn't fly from, you know, LAX airport to JFK and back to LAX in like a day. You couldn't do that. More than likely, you weren't going to take a trip more than 30 miles away for a middle-class businessman. Some people would go longer. So they weren't going too far compared to where we're at today. But you still had to think things through. You still had to plan. You know what I mean? Some funny, I guess I'll say that, some funny Christians think that if you're a Christian, you don't plan, you don't think things through, you don't um, ask for feedback, you don't ask for counsel. That's not what James is saying at all. In fact, if you're not planning, something's wrong. The world's messed up. We're in a war. You've got to think things through, right? He's not saying that. What he's saying is you're planning, but guess who you're leaving out of the equation? God. <laughs> I know you're going to church on Sundays, maybe even community group on Thursdays. <laughs> maybe redemption groups. <laughs> but you might be doing those things, but you're not, God's not in the equation. He doesn't have a say in your life. And especially with money, remember Jesus said that is the root of all kinds of evil, especially with money. If God doesn't have a say in this in your money business plans, 
What are you doing? You're living like a practical atheist, dog. But maybe he should have just hoped it worked itself out, right? God's in control. Maybe he should have just let it be. After all, he can't judge his people, right? He can't judge them. He should just let it go. God's sovereign. God's in control. Right? But no. We'll remember our crazy nut brother in the faith, Martin Luther, said the day you start... The day you stop talking to your brothers in the faith about things that matter, especially challenging, is the day you're not even friends anymore. And James's people weren't only his, you know, sheep that he was authority over. He was their friends. He loved them. Just like your pastors here love you very much. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Now, this is kind of where maybe just kind of day-to-day life, there's kind of, according to what I see here, there's kind of three main reasons, there's probably more, why living like a practical atheist, it doesn't even make sense, right? It doesn't even make sense. And again, I'm not denigrating atheists. Some of them are closer to God than some of you. (laughs) I know I'm like that too sometimes. Nowhere near God. The first thing is, the, like, just the complexities of life, right? Isn't life complex? I'll step back on the brakes a little bit. Name, just name a couple of complexities of life. We'll get charismatic for a minute. Name some complexities of life. Just stuff. Kids. Work. There's no wrong answer. Meals. No, Bill. Come on. Hit me. Relationships. Yeah, I think that's all right. I don't think there's any wrong answers. Life is complex. How silly is it that we go through areas of our life, especially with money, something God says shows ultimately where our heart is. How silly is it that we that we detach God from all these complexities. You know what I mean? I mean, I know, I know we, you know, we, we kind of have things together and we, and we go through life and, and we're involved and we smile and we say, how are you doing, dog? And, and I know all this stuff. I know we're good at doing that, but through, li- through all these complexities, how silly is it to leave God out of the equation? You know what I'm saying? But maybe you do. Maybe God is in every aspect of your life. Maybe your life is a continual outpouring of yourself to the one true God. A continual worship of Almighty God. Maybe that's you. Right? Maybe maybe James isn't even talking to you here. I'm just kidding, by the way. It's not one of you. It's not me either. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. That brings us to the second thing. Just the shortness of life. The brevity of life. How silly is it, Christian, not atheists, Christians, 
to live like to live like God doesn't exist, considering how short this life is. This is this is intense language, mist, right? Some say smoke. Picture you inhale that cigarette. I'm not advertising that in any way, shape, or form. And then you exhale. And then you're gone. In God's eyes, that's how short this life is. That's how short life is. For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So what happens when, when the clock runs out, when, when the mist is gone? What happens? We were good people, so then we all go to heaven. It's understandable. A lot of people think that. We supported the environment and all sorts of rights for all different kind of people, right? We were open-minded. We were tolerant. If we were these things, does that mean when everything vanishes that we'll be fine? It's a common belief. It's understandable. Some of you think that. I know some of your friends believe that. It's because God is a God of justice and peace that we know injustice is wrong. So there's going to be a judgment day. If you don't think so, we respect that. But it's because you have that desire for justice that you know deep down there's going to be a judgment day when everything vanishes. What will you say when you stand before God? Then James kind of switches. He's not just going to, you know, get all down on you. He kind of switches here. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So he said, if the Lord wills. So this isn't like just one more work. You know, every time you're making plans, just, you know, clock in, clock out. Oh, if God wills. And then just keep living life. He's not saying that. It's a heart-level mindset that says, I am under the authority of God. But it's not this mean, angry, evil authority. It's a, it's a loving authority. It's a fatherly authority who guides us. Some of you didn't have good fathers. You didn't have good guidance. So you have a hard time trusting. It's very understandable. But remember... God's authority is good. It is not tyrannical. It is for our good to guide us and help us walk in freedom. And maybe I can say this, step back for a second. Um, I think you can, I think you can, you know, just be going through life and, and, and making all your plans and plans aren't bad plans are great. I think you can be making all your plans. Um, and, you know, saying, you know, Lord, if you will do this, but, there's not actually a desire to do things God's way. Because God tells us, here are some evidences, here are some signs, here are some marks of you're seeking to do things my way. Let's go through a couple of them. One, talks about this in Proverbs, which is actually wound pretty similarly to this book, the book of Proverbs. Um, one, you fear the Lord, right? His weight in your life is real, right? You don't, it's not like this, you know, I'll go to him when I need him, right? 
Think about our prayer life, how often usually we're just going, going to him and we need him. You fear God. You just have this reverent awe and respect for him. The thought of not doing something his way concerns you because he's God. He loves you. Right? Two, and this isn't a thorough list. Two, you seek counsel for your plans. Now, that's not very popular after all. I mean, good grief, I'm passionate. I'm going to do whatever I want as long as it makes me happy. I'm in a rage to be happy, right? And anyone who messes with that, they're the bad guy, right? Think about that. Do you not hear that all the time? As long as it makes me happy, as long as it makes me happy, as long as it makes me happy. That's great. Happiness is great. But guess what? Terrorists, they want to be happy. That makes them happy, right? Does it not? We love terrorists. <laughs> plan. Totally plan. We all need God. You seek counsel. That means not only God is your authority, but there's authority structures in your life that God gives you to guide you and to help you walk in freedom. Right? That's part of what is so attractive, I think, about the Christian faith, this church in particular. If you're a man or a woman and you want to be guided in freedom in the faith and not just be your own little God, this is where you can do it. That's where it happens in the local church. That's where you're guided. Is that not true? Amen? Or maybe, maybe you're one of the exceptions. You don't have to have authority. After all, you, you work hard. You work 40 hours a week. Take care of the kids. It's time for me to check out. I've, I've done all my work. I don't need any authority. I'm just going to watch Netflix for four to five straight hours. <laughs> well, there's all sorts of wrong things going on in my life. I'm just going to kind of turn a blind eye to that. Now, you have people around you that, that help you, that guide you, that care for you. Not just elders and, and shepherds, but your brothers and sisters in the faith. That's why they're there. You're a family, right? You ask them what they think. Hey, what do you think about this? Hey, I'm struggling with this. Help me think through this. I'm a mess right now. Will you pray for me? But we'll remember in particular that James, I just zoomed out there a little bit, but James is kind of focusing on, on, on wealth, um, especially in regards to how you think through and plan your wealth. Um, make no mistake, the... Money is fantastic. Making plans are fantastic. If you're not doing that, something's wrong. Um, but when we elevate that to a level um, to where it's the thing in our life, it gives us the ultimate meaning, the ultimate significance, the ultimate worth. No matter what we say with our mouth, that is the thing that drives us. When that's money, you're in dangerous territory, friend. When it's the American dream, you're in dangerous territory. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, because this is what I thought. Well, I'm not wealthy. I'm not one of those self-righteous pricks. I'm not that guy. James is also talking to people who are living life as if in the future, once I get the money, once I get the wealth, once I get this, once I get the doctor job, once I get the lawyer job, once I get the teaching job, once I get the kids, then everything will be all right. All right. 
Then everything will be perfect. He's talking to those people too. There's a future tense to that. And you cannot say that you here, brother and sister in Christ, friend, checking out Legacy Church, you cannot say that you're not affected by this American dream. You can't say that. Can you? You can't say that. We're affected by it. If I get a degree, if I get, oh, high school first. If I get my high school degree, I get my college degree, I'll get a good job, I'll have some kids. And that is everything. It's everything. It gives us the most meaning. It's our ultimate. It's our God. James isn't railing against the concepts of money, degrees, wealth, education. No, he's not doing that. He's saying you've made it too important. Brothers and sisters, it's enslaving you. You've traded God, the creator, for money, a created thing, right? As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. That kind of hit, that kind of hit me square in the eyes. You know, I mean, I know some of us are cute and, and, and we're just good at saying hello to everybody and, and we just have this great reputation. But he's saying if, if God isn't master, is he, if he isn't king over your money, if you're not making, if your plans aren't rooted in prayer and just saying, God, you're in control, he's saying if you're doing that, you're evil. All such boasting is evil at least. It's not very encouraging. I came to church to get good vibes, right? I deserve that. I work hard. <laughs> came to get, what does Pastor Luke say? My, my leaky love cup filled. <laughs> no, what we're really saying is, God, your job is to make me happy. I'm making you according to my image. Your job is to make me happy. You exist for me. That's what we're saying. Think about how sin, it doesn't just kind of mess stuff up. It 180 degrees flips it the wrong way. Everything disintegrates. Everything disintegrates, right? Everything disintegrates. So um, just right there, God doesn't exist for me, though he is for me. I exist for him to reflect his glory, his majesty, his beauty. He's precious. He's more precious than your money and your plans. Now, I'm not just, and James isn't just doing this to make you feel bad and to hurt your self-esteem or whatever, whatever that means. Yes, look for that term in the Bible, self-esteem. <laughs> it's not there. Um, he's not doing that. He, he, he's seen his people that have tasted the goodness of God, that have, that have heard the good news that, that Jesus is God. Sent into this world to live the life we couldn't live, a perfect one, right? To die the death we are condemned to die because we didn't live a perfect life. He came to do that for us in our place. James's people have tasted this, but they've stumbled. They've gone off the path, right? This isn't a book, this isn't a book that somehow not gospel, or in other words, not the good news about how it's for Jesus. It's about Jesus and not us. 
It isn't in conflict with that. In fact, it's a good complement to it. You've tasted grace given by God. He gives you the grace to sustain, to take you home. And his people lost sight of that. They'd fallen into evilness. But you might say, why are we, why are we talking about sin? Why is James talking about sin? After all, I've been, I've been saved. I've been redeemed. I'm new. I belong to God now. Right? I'm no longer a slave to the power of sin. Why are you talking about this? Build me up, dog. <laughs> but likewise, we missed that point too. We're safe from the power of sin, friends, but we're not safe from the presence of sin. Sin is still present. It doesn't own us anymore, but it's still present. And guess what? If you forget that, sin has a lot of power over your life. It has a lot of power in your life. I don't care how much you say the word gospel. I don't care how much Piper you read. I don't, much, I don't care how much you read Keller. I don't care how much you read any of that. You can say the word gospel, gospel-centered all day long and not love God. You can be trying to be gospel-centered by the power of your own ability. By the, you detach the Holy Spirit from the equation. You try to muster up the ability to be gospel-centered. You can't do that. You can't do it. You have to have the Holy Spirit, right? You can't be gospel-centered without the Holy Spirit. Let me submit that. Let me submit that firmly. Some of you guys try so freaking hard to be godly, to, to be, which is awesome, to be godly, to be, to, to be in line with God's priorities, to be gospel-centered. You try so hard to do that. But friends, and that's a noble ambition, but friends, let's remember, we can't do that unless we need God, unless we're dependent on God. Can we? We have to be dependent on God first. His Holy Spirit has to be alive in us. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Hmm. That's, that's kind of interesting. Um, so we'll remember that James started this little section with something that kind of sounded like, you know, listen up. Listen up, brothers and sisters. Hey, heads up. Heads up. See, he's ending it right here. So whatever, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. It's kind of like James is saying, brothers and sisters, I've said it. Now you can't say you didn't hear it. I've actually spoken the words. Right? Does that make sense? Some think that James is saying something along the lines of, you know, you know, anything that you, you know, anything that you're struggling with, any sin you're struggling with, you know, for you it's sin. He might be doing that, but he's talking right here about a specific thing. If you know these things, now that you know these things and you fail to do it, it's sin. If you're making all these plans, but not rooting it in the knowledge and the beauty and the gorgeousness of God, it's sin. It's sin. I don't think this is a theology of, 
you know, the different aspects of God's will and, and when it's his will and when it's not and when, when you plan, when you pray. I think he's just like a, a good present father in the community. I think he's just naming a couple things that really need to be worked on. And he's saying, now that you know it, do it. Do it. It's done. It's finished. You belong to God. You are legally right before God because of what Jesus did. It's finished. You're already there. You already have everything you need. Do it. Do it. Makes me think of Ben Stiller. What was that movie? Um, the one where he's with Owen Wilson. Yeah, Starskin Hatch. Yeah. Do it. Do it. Now, if we um, if we know the if we're knowing the right thing to do, and we're failing to do it, it is sin. And um, so. Let's kind of zoom out a little bit again. If, if you really want to do things your own way and you want to stay there, God is kind. He'll let you do that. He'll let you keep doing things your own way. And you can keep on with a common morality, a common putting out a good face. And that's nice. It's good. You're not evil, completely evil. You can keep doing that. And God will let you keep doing that. Um, but if you want to keep doing that till the day you die, if you never really want God in your life, um, it's not like God's going to make you spend eternity with him. <laughs> He's not going to make you do it. If you didn't want to spend time with him in this life, it's not like when we stand before him, all of a sudden you're going to be like, yeah, God, I want to... I want you to be my father. I want to be your kid. I want you to be my Lord. I'll be your slave. I'll be, you know, it's, it's not going to happen. You'll get to spend eternity without him. That's what hell is. It's eternity without God. You'll get to do that, God. It's, it's pretty nice there. It's not going to make you do something you don't want to do. Um, but to use the business language of this text that James gave us as an avenue to feed us, to help us profit in our relationship with God, to help us be freed by the power of sin, right? If you believe that that debt that you have um, before God, who is very wealthy, he's very beautiful, he's very rich, and you have a debt to him, if you believe that Jesus um, paid that debt for you in your place because you couldn't do it. He paid the debt for you in your place. It's nothing to do with you and your ability, your plans, your wealth, your niceness, your cuteness. It has nothing to do with that. He paid it for you in your place. If you believe that, not only are you as an individual um, now in relationship with God, right? Because remember, we can't bring our way up to God. God came down for us. God came down. Find me another faith system where God comes down to do everything for the person in their place because they're poor and they can't do it. If you believe that, not only are you individually right before God, right, but you are inserted into a family that is getting to know that God, 
you're put on a mission of people that are making that mission known to others in the world, not detached in just some silly, weird, holy huddle, but just in every aspect of life, in your job, in your school, working out, arts, fashion, everything. Every aspect of your life is now being lived in light of that. It's not just an individual thing, but friends, let's not forget there's a, there's a destination here too, right? God's effective work on the cross, we're going to be profiting from that for eternity, right? Sometimes I fear we, we forget the promises of God, how there's an end to the story. There's an end to the story, right? If Jesus is your king, he will come back. You're not going to go up there and float forever. He's going to come down. He's going to bring heaven down to earth. Heaven will be a place called earth, the new earth. And because of what Jesus did, we'll forever be doing all these great things. And I think it might be business too. I'm not sure, but I think if you enjoy it, you might be doing that in the future life. And it's all because of Jesus and what he did. It's a great ending to the story, isn't it? And isn't it cool how we're not the hero of the story? Isn't that cool? Now we're just passive. We're just recipients. Right? We're poor. We need it. Because let's not forget, if you have a middle class or a rich class spirit, you cannot be saved. You do not know God. You can have wealth. That's great. But your demeanor, your spirit, if it's middle class or upper class, you don't know God. If that is ultimately where you are, you don't know God. You have to trust what he did.